Welcome to Super Agents Live. This is the one place where you can come and hear the most successful people in real estate. You'll hear how these super agents built their businesses, how they stay productive, and how they stay motivated. Who am I? My name's Toby Salgado, and I made my first million in real estate. And I'm your host for the next 30 minutes while we talk to yet another amazing real estate entrepreneur. Stay tuned. Let's go. Okay. Hey, uh, today's episode is with a guy, Tim Harris. And last week we did the, I never split these things up ever. I never do part one, part two, but um, I did for Tim and, uh, and literally dude, we probably could have kept on going. So today's, if you haven't heard part one, go back. It's a last episode. Uh, and today is part two of uh, Tim Harris, the big trainer, big coach in the world of real estate. Hey, and if, again, if you're new to the show, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, the hashtag for the show is unpack that idea. Use it, tweet it out. You'll get new followers. All right. Hey, let's get to part two. Uh, okay. Welcome to part two. Uh, Tim Harris of timandjulieharris.com. So Tim, where we left off, we were talking about mindset and we we're talking about manifesting whatever you put in your mind. And that you're, and well, that, go ahead. So, so can I, you know, there's, <laughs> I, first of all, Toby, thank you again for having me. I'm really enjoying this time with you. I, I appreciate your uh, great questions and I'm, you know, really hoping in my heart that we're really doing something uh, to help a lot of people. So if you don't mind, I would like to sort of directly attack some of the lies that are being perpetuated in our industry right now. I mean, it goes back to the mindset thing, but agents are not achieving the success that they can because they're being fed really bad information. And if you don't mind, and we won't go negative, even though that sounds like a negative twist, but I'd like to kind of address some of the some of the sort of widely spread myths about what it takes to be successful, not just in this industry in life. Do you mind? No, I'd love it. All right. So I'm going to focus on one that, uh, a couple things, you know, a lot of times I'll tell you, this is a true story. You know, who Tim Ferriss is four hour work week. I'm uh, sure you do. Yeah, of course. Okay. So Julie and I run into Tim Ferriss and I started talking to him about his book and this was back in 07 or 08. Um, and I asked him about the title and he told me, the title of his book wasn't the original title of his book. He told me the title of his book was originally something completely different, and the publisher thought of the title. And, I, and, I, and he said the publisher thought of the title because they wanted to sell books. And he said there really is no – he didn't say it these exact words, but the essence of it was the four-hour work week is kind of a BS title to sell books. Well, there's a lot of BS information that's out there that's designed to basically get you guys to believe that you don't have to work to believe that success just comes easily if you have these sort of thoughts, if you do all this mystical stuff. I mean, all this trendy stuff that's been out and all these business books that people say, oh, my God, this business book, this, okay, I'll give you one. Don't sweat the small stuff, but it's all small stuff. That's totally wrong. Sweat the small stuff because that's where the success is. Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. It's not all small stuff. It's the small stuff that makes you different. It's the small stuff that makes you successful. It's the small stuff that makes it so that you're in business for a long time at a high level. You know, clear your mind away from the fact, and I'm leading into my next one that I like to talk about with agents, that you need to, like, agents don't delegate for the most part. They abdicate. In other words, they basically will assign the task to somebody else, whether they're on their staff or whether they're, you know, some third party, and they don't follow up because 
We have been taught over the past probably 20 years that micromanaging is bad. Not true. Anybody successful that you'll ever meet in life, from the President of the United States to billionaires, they all are chronic micromanagers. So there's an old Ronald Reagan saying, trust but verify. You guys, that's another good one. So you can delegate, don't abdicate. In other words, don't give the responsibility away of completing the task. You have to assign it to somebody. Then you have to micromanage them so that you basically can get the task done at its highest level. And you have to trust the person you're hiring to do the job, but you have to verify that it's been done correctly. So the idea that you can have a four-hour work week, that you can sit around and hire this legion of agents to do all this work for you, you can sit around the beach and pick lid on your toes, I suppose you can, but you won't make any profit. And if you're running a profit-driven business, which hopefully all of you are, in other words, you're taking off the top of every single real estate transaction. You're paying yourself first. You're taking off 10%. You're taking off 20%. And as you pay off your debts, as you build your six-month savings plan, as you pay off your house, as you get you know, wealthier and wealthier in essence, then you can start peeling off more. And, and here's an interesting fact. The more money you have, the less debt you have, the easier it is to earn money because the money that you're earning is more fun. It's not going for paying off student loans or paying off mistakes from the past. When you have no debt, you actually have a tendency to earn more money, not less money, which is the exact opposite of what you know, a lot of people think. If they have no debt, they're not going to be able to earn money because they're going to somehow not have to work. It, the exact opposite happens. So on the other side of financial independence is where true wealth creation begins. That's, there's a lot of stuff there. So let me ask you. Let me ask you about the delegate, don't advocate. Um, so delegate, don't advocate. Um, sweat the small stuff. Now, now for me in my life, Tim, I'm I'm sort of an eighty percent guy. You know, I, I do a lot of different things. I will get it eighty percent there, and that last mile, right? That last twenty percent, which is all the small stuff. I tend to just sort of like I don't do it. Now, now in a lot of ways, whatever you know, project I'm starting or company I'm you know deal I'm doing, whatever that last mile. For me, it 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 doesn't just the 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 reward for the work doesn't pay off for me in my mind. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, how, how far how far what you know in, in terms of sweating the small stuff? How how small are you really talking about? Every detail. Hmm. Every detail matters. I right now I'm, I'll give you an example. I just glanced at my email. I have one of my coaching students in New York who's creating his pre listing pack. So part of our coaching program is we give people a done pre-listing pack, but you obviously have to then personalize it with your own information. And he's asking all these types of questions too, you know, what matters? And he was, now we're talking about colors of the, you know, backgrounds and just different things. And the color that sells best and always will probably is blue. You know, the certain shade of blue that you see on like the on button on digital devices, the Facebook like button is blue. You'll see this blue. So I said, use this blue. And he goes, no, I like the color teal. And I said, listen, and I sent him some links to the psychological studies that have been done on this one tiny little detail that most agents would assume didn't matter. And it does matter. It's a detail. It's a small thing. It's something, again, that people take for granted. But every tiny little thing matters. You're in a highly competitive industry. And because we're in the very beginning stages of what's going to be another seven to 10 year real estate boom, you heard me right, we're the very beginning stages of a real estate boom. You have to make it so that people on a conscious and a subconscious level are attracted to you to do business with you. So it's all those tiny little details. 
And there is no such thing as done. I mean, there's no such thing as done. Your, your business will never be done. Your systems will never be done. Your skills will never be done. As soon as you say, I'm done, you're going to start failing. So always be looking for ways to improve. Always be looking for uh, you know, the next rung of whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a bigger house and you know, all those types of you know, material things. It could just be in your, uh, your aptitude, your ability to service different kinds of clients, your versatility. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, you know, I've, uh, on my website, right, my last company that I started was Task Hero. I spent a lot of time getting into the, the psychology of colors. You know, what, when you have a call to action on your website, you know, what color button should that be to, that, that would prompt them to, to move further on? So I agree with that for sure. Um, let, let's talk about the seven to 10 year boom, right? So one of the things that I said in the intro on the last episode is that, that uh, you know, people, when they, people told me to go and get you, uh, they said that they said this weird thing about your your very time relevant, right? You you the the sorts of things that you teach uh, are they work in today's market? Now the things that worked in '06 uh, won't necessarily work in in 2014. What do you see uh, you looking forward in the next seven to ten years, Tim? What well, kind I of- love that question, All but right. that's an awesome question, Toby. Because what you're really touching on is like when somebody. So I'm going to put the self-serving hat on for a second, right? So when we're getting compared to other coaching companies, well, a lot of times what you guys are looking at, and and I'm going to move away from the self-serving thing just so that people will be more receptive to what I have to say, is that they are teaching you stuff that absolutely positively did work in the past. There's no question that what worked in the past worked in the past. That's the reason they are able to get longevity. So, you know, there's the people that are selling you on the long-term referral systems and the, you know, cold calling and the, you know, all those types of things. They worked then, they don't work now at the same level. I'm not saying they don't work, but they don't work at the same level. So there's a great saying that we teach all of our coaching students that when the going gets tough, the smart leave. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. In other words, if what you were doing before doesn't work, if where you're selling real estate even doesn't work, you have to realize that it's not your job to dig your heels in and say, hell or high water, I'm going to make it work. I need to, you know, you need to pivot to what is working. Real-time coaching is what we hear a lot from our coaching students. And I'll give you an example. Back in 07, when the market basically, I remember September of 07, I'll even tell you, I was on a coaching call with Mark Shandro in Long Beach. Mark was, you know, making $100,000 a month back in the, you know, back before the crash. And I remember virtually all of his transactions fell out. It's when the subprime lenders started to fail. It's when the whole house of cards started falling down. And, you know, he was bummed out about it. I said, Mark, this is the greatest opportunity ever. Why? Because the market is going to shift to short sales, then to REOs, and it'll happen in that order. So we then started teaching, teaching agents how to do short sales. We were the first, uh, as far as I'm aware, we were the, by far the first to market teaching agents how to do short sales. How did Julie and I know how to do short sales? Because we had to do short sales when we sold real estate. So the reality of it was, is at the time, short sales and REOs and doing the kind of work that focused on helping underwater homeowners, that was where the money was. And in some markets, by the way, guys, I'm thinking of certain parts of Florida, certain parts of Vegas, really a lot of major markets around the country, there are still literally millions and millions and millions of underwater owners and probably will be for some time to come. That is a market that is a viable income-producing spoke, and the analogy of a spoke is basically you have a bicycle wheel. Then you know each the stronger the wheel, the more spokes you have. That's just if you get that visualization, 
Most agents were taught to believe that you have to have one or two spokes. Maybe you're going to be cold calling and you're going to mail a newsletter to your centers of influence and past clients. That's the typical sort of, and you'll notice that over time it doesn't work as well because it doesn't work as well, not because you're not working as well. What you're doing doesn't work like it did, so you have to pivot to what is working. Um, and in this marketplace, the market's pivoting again. We're seeing a lot of new construction opportunities. We're seeing a lot of um, first-time buyers enter in the market. We're seeing a lot of bounce-back buyers, you know, people that lost their houses during foreclosure. We're seeing a lot of people that have near equity. You know, they're not quite underwater, but they're near underwater. But the other thing we're seeing, which is really exciting, and depending on your market, we're seeing a huge influx of foreign money in big, you know, ridiculous numbers. Certain parts of California, a lot of Chinese folks, you know, New Jersey, a lot of Polish and, you know, Russian folks. Just around the, around the country, there's these booms that are happening that you need to be aware of so that you can benefit from what is going to be a long-term real estate co- recovery. So do you want to talk about that since you brought that up? Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Okay, so if you look back, um, and you can go back to however long home sales have been tracked, and I studied this. I heard somebody say this, and then I studied it. And here's what we discovered. Real estate goes in seven to 10 year cycles. And if you think about it, the real estate boom started in say 2000 or 2001, the, you know, the bubble, if you want to call it that. And then there was a crash in say 2007. Can we agree to that? Yeah. I, well, um, for the most part, I mean, you I can re- argue on the dates and the months and all okay, that, but right. let's just in theory, so, okay. yes, yeah, that, that was the seven year. Now, that, right. So that was the, that was the write up. And then the write down was arguably 2007, you know, to roughly 2013 or 2014. Certainly there were markets that were recovering before that. So what we see is um, history repeating itself. So it goes in seven-year cycles. And the thing about a cycle, the thing about uh, being opportunistic is that you, if you're not paying attention, you're not going to realize that you're in the next cycle until it's already halfway over. Right. Many, many agents during the real estate crash were not believing it. They were thinking, oh, it'll bounce back. It's going to come back. This is just temporary, blah, 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 blah. And then it was 2009, 2010. And by that time, they burned through their savings. And now they're writing their comeback stories, as we call it. They're rebuilding their savings. They're gaining back their success. A lot of realtors are in that situation. Everyone listening right now, you know, it's 2014, midway through. You're going to be listening to this interview for years to come. Remember, you know, remember this. It's going to be seven to 10 years of ever increasing home sales and opportunity for you. Not in every market. Some of your markets are dead. They're just flat. They're not going to recover. But for the most part, you're going to see a bifurcation where there's going to be markets that are better than they ever were during the boom and agents making more money than they ever have before. Be there, right? When the going gets tough, the smart leave. That could just be like what Julie and I did. We went from one part of Columbus selling real estate and we moved like 20 miles away. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. Be opportunistic. Know your marketplace and embrace the fact that we're, the downward cycle is over. It lasted seven years. And now we're in the upswing of a seven to 10 year real estate cycle. If you have that mindset, what actions, different actions are you going to take now? Make sense? Yeah, totally. It, it, it does. And, and, and look, so so um, if I go back, right, listings were used to used to be an MLS book and then they came online. Right. So then people started looking on their PC. You know, now everything's moving mobile. Um, you know where what how, look, let's talk about spokes. Right. How many spokes should people have and, and what should those spokes look like today? And, and where do you see those migrating four years, five years from now? Well, 
<laughs> That's a good question, too. Tell me, damn, with these questions, sorry, man. You're making me sorry, think. Sorry. You're making me think. I had a bunch of stuff written down that was going to make me think that I wanted to share with you. All right, so let's talk about that. Again, it depends on the individual agent, and it depends on their goals. That's, that's the easy answer. So not everyone's spokes are going to be the same. Not everyone's going to be looking for the same result. Not everyone has the same income aspirations. So let's just get that out of the way. Got it. Okay. So depending on where you are in your career, depending on basically where you are in the country, you're going to have different opportunities. If you're in Austin, Texas, for example, you better sure as heck be paying attention to the new construction that's starting right now. Um, there was like in Williamson County, which is just a little bit north of Austin, we have some great coaching students up in that market. Uh, 15,000 new home uh, sites were announced. It was in the local paper. Most agents didn't know about it. Well, that's also a market where there's no resale, where basically sellers are totally in control of the market. But here you are, 15,000 new homes going in in the next few years. What's going to happen to the value of those resale homes? You know, where are the opportunities going to be as those owners of those homes who haven't had a viable option to move up to are now looking at those move-up houses? That is a huge opportunity. So you've got to you know, realize that individual markets, individual agents, you have different uh, lead generators. Everyone should obviously be focused on the, you know, the gold standard stuff, the centers of influence in the past clients. That's something you should always, always, always take great care of. Um, you know, keep that list handy. Everyone has different suggestions on how you should contact those guys. Julie and I suggest you literally call them every single month. You literally stay in front of them constantly but not with a message of, you know, send me a referral. Not with a message where you start out by saying something like, well, this is a business call. You have to be providing something of service every time you come in contact with these guys. There's a script and a system we have for that, of course, and if Toby wants to talk about that, we can. But the reality of it is, is it's free. You pick up the phone, you say something that you know people are going to be receptive to. Law of reciprocity means that they're going to, you know, and then it's not a real law, but you get the idea. You open the, someone opens the door for you as you walk into the Starbucks, you're going to be compelled to open the door for them or buy them a cup of coffee. So those are the types of you know, thinking behind our systems with centers of influence and past clients. We don't advocate or don't advocate, sorry, uh, pumpkins and pumpkin pies and forget-me-not seeds and all these gimmicky things. Now, going back to an earlier question that Toby asked, those things did work before, but now that five agents in your office are dropping off pumpkin pies to the exact same sellers every November, because remember, your centers of influence and past clients, that list isn't exclusive. Other agents have that list. It's oversaturated. That idea doesn't work anymore. Right. So you start out with your centers of influence and past clients, and then you want to move to whatever is a natural fit for you. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer to your question, Toby. I'm not trying to oh, be no, evasive. I'm just no, no. being honest. I totally agree. And look, here's, here's, here's kind of like one of the things that I see, right? So, so home valuation sites uh, were it's, – it's strange, right? They, they came out, and people were getting tons and tons of leads from these things. More and more people started finding out – more agents finding out about them. And, and now everybody's trying to do it. Now, I think maybe that boat has sailed a little bit because I talked with a guy. Um, uh, do you know Mitch Reback? I think I've heard of his name. Yeah, he's, big, uh, he's in Florida. And he went, as soon as he discovered these home valuation sites, went across the country and started buying up all, the, all these domains. Um, and it seems to me that there's going to be, you know, things like that, right, that where, you know, the home valuation sites are hot and then they're not. And I just, you know, you are on the cutting edge of all well, But that's not a new idea. Dude, that's not a new idea. Housevalues.com, right? I mean, that, that came out back in when Julie and I were selling real estate. It was started by a real estate broker in Seattle. And, you know, they, I think house values became part of market leader and market, now market leaders owned by Trulia. But when house values came out with that, it was, listen, in Columbus, Ohio, we were the first subscriber to housevalues.com leads. They were running TV ads, and we were getting fantastic quality leads. 
we were. And then what happened? They started then selling the same leads to other agents, and then the lead quality went to crap because it was oversaturated. And then after about maybe a year, it just didn't have the same level of effectiveness. So that's what happens with a lot of these great ideas. They're just gimmicks at the end of the day. But you can make money from gimmicks. Right. 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 You well, can make money from gimmicks. Right. And, and, and you can ride that wave. I mean, going back to what you're saying. Right. right. So if you go back into 08, you know, you were you were telling people to get into start selling short sales. Now, if I, you mentioned Pat Hyben in our last interview and, you know, Pat's a, a semi friend of mine. He's been on the show and we've had lots and lots of conversations. Pat was from what I, and you may know better than me, but, but how, what Pat expressed to me was prior to the crash, prior to getting into short sales and building that team, he was not really that big of a star, right? He wasn't, he had a, he had a mediocre business, but he saw that opportunity, jumped on it and killed it. I think Leo Priya did the same thing. Um, so, and that's sort of, you know, what do you see, um, new construction? That's a great thing to sort of focus on. What other waves do you, do you see that might be coming down the road? I'm very interested in, um, like, so pick a market, Toby. The question's too general. Pick a market. Um, pick a part of the country. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let, uh, so let's go uh, California. That's where I'm at. Well, that's, a, that's an enormous state. I mean, it's practically its own country. Let's pick something that's really interesting, like Manhattan, right? Okay. So, so is that okay? Sure. Okay. So I look at Manhattan, and we've got some of the top agents in Manhattan as personal coaching students. And I love coaching them because their stories are just hilarious. You know, I'm on a coaching call the other day and somebody's like one of these coaches, I'm not going to say his name, but he was like showing Katie Holmes properties. And, you know, he's telling me about the whole interaction between Katie and what she was looking for. She found this great condo that she liked, her apartment, of course, it was, we're talking about Manhattan, they don't use the word condo there. And, and like her money manager, like put the kibosh on the transaction. I mean, those types of things are fun. Hmm. So, in Manhattan, for example, this is something, you know, we're talking about short sales, so I'm going to kind of bring in two other things to this idea. If you guys were to do some homework and you were looking even Manhattan where people say, oh, that stuff is on fire, things are selling so fast, there can't be any underwater owners, there are a ton of underwater owners right in the city in the most expensive, you know, cost per square foot area outside of Paris and Tokyo in the world is Manhattan. And so go to property records, find out what people owe, find out how many people are underwater, and New York also has, I believe, still the slowest foreclosure process of anywhere in the country. Start calling those underwater owners. They aren't getting solicited by any else, anyone else. They know they're headed for foreclosure. And offer them your services. Use the scripts that we give agents to use. But I'll, show you, I'll tell you another really interesting example. Because those houses of those underwater owners, because of the antiquated foreclosure process in New York State, um, there's a lack of inventory causing prices to go up. Figure that one out in your head. So tons of underwater owners, lack of inventory, even though if those properties were for sale, that market would probably deflate a little bit. The c- condo conversions in Manhattan. If you are in Manhattan and you're listening right now, really anywhere in the city or down to Jersey, when you list a multifamily property right now, the opportunity is to figure out how to convert that to a development of condos. And there is so much money in that. Um, when you look at, for example, some of these, uh, I have, I have uh, students, coaching clients that are working with developers who are walking into these situations where it's like an old apartment building or it's old whatnot, and they can take these and they can convert these and, and make literally millions of dollars of profit off of them. So what, depending on your market, like uh, several of my coaching students, what I have them doing is hunting down, obviously, the underwater owners. And obviously, if the building is something they convert into multiple units, that's a cash cow. And then they get multiple streams of income. 
They'll buy the unit. They'll, you know, sell it. I'm sorry. They'll sell the unit to a developer. The developer will then obviously convert it or restore it or whatever, make them into individual units, and then that same agent then gets the upside of the resale. Then a lot of those folks that are buying those, you know, newly rehabbed apartments have properties to sell, and you can just basically watch, wash, rinse, and repeat. In that particular market, that's a huge opportunity. Now, if you're like, for example, in, well, I mean, Austin, we mentioned that. New construction is where it's going to be at. Go to the new construction home reps. And a lot of these guys are brand new new home home construction home reps because the builders are just now adding staff. They don't have existing relationships with realtors that are set in stone. Now, think about this. In Austin, as an example, the average sale price in Georgetown of the new construction that's getting built is going to be in the 400s on up. In Texas, that is a big number. So Hmm. there's an excellent chance that whoever's moving up to that house is going to have a property to sell. You go to that new build rep. You basically, we have several systems to basically make it so that new build rep will want to keep you as their, you know, the business card they hand out when they run into a potential build client who has a house to sell. You know, you get those relationships with two or three different new build reps, that is going to be a nice steady spoke for you. Will it last forever? Probably not. But it's going to be a really sweet way for you to get ahead of the market, you know, to get ahead of where the market's going. You walk into the new build rep area, talk to the new build person, ask them what the development plans are, you know, knowing basically from public information they're probably playing on hundreds if not thousands of homes, and ask them what they're doing with the seller or the buyers that walk in that have properties to sell. Get the listings. Hmm. You know, figure out a system so you can get, maybe get yourself on the buy side contract so you can make money not only in the resale, but you can also make money on the what? New construction that they're building. So again, depending on the market you're in, there's tremendous opportunity. I'm thinking about my clients in uh, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is a explosive market into the, you know, the different states that you know, a lot of people will commute from every day. Different kinds of opportunities there with a lot of relocating. But though, that market's really sweet because you have so many people that every time the administration changes, <laughs> have to relocate out and then new ones relocate in. So again, it really does depend. Now, you might be somebody who doesn't feel like being out there. Let's say your goal is to earn $100,000 a year. What I would coach you towards, what any of our coaches would coach you towards, are what your greatest strengths are now. We'd ask you where your past clients came, where your business and closed transactions have come from. We'd ask you, we'd really get to kind of get in your head and understand where your natural abilities are. And then we would go for, we would help you get better at those things before we introduce something new to you that you're totally uncomfortable with. So this one-size-fits-all coaching approach is obsolete. It's very 20th century. It doesn't work. It, a lot of you guys have been involved in other coaching companies before, you know, been involved as in it didn't work for you. It didn't work for you because it doesn't work. It didn't work for you not because you're defective, because what you're being told worked before 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago but it doesn't work in 2014, 15, and 16. So just embrace the opportunity that this market is. It's incredible. Yeah, so that's interesting, Tim. Uh, so, you know, uh, what you know what worked, obviously, 30 years ago is not going to work today. You know, what people um, – so NAR came out with a stat, and the, the, the group that is buying the most houses, 31% are, are millennials, right? And it's only – you know, it, pretty much it was even across the board, but millennials are 31 and boomers were 29 or something like that. Um, so, so, you know, what those millennials, if you, those are they're selling real estate, 
as well as buying, you know, they're going to default to what's working today and what didn't exist 30 years is social media. So, you know, maybe, and I'm good at social media, right? One of the things you said earlier is you find out what they're good at and kind of double down and get them better at that. Um, what, what would you say to that person who says, hey, Tim, you know, look, I'm really good at social media and I have, you know, 5,000 friends and uh, that's how I want to, that's what I want to mine at, in t- to find, uh, you know, prospects or that's how I want to prospect. Well, it's awesome. I love it. I mean, if that's what you're comfortable doing, um, I absolutely 100% agree. I'm 44. You're 44, yeah. Toby. I mean, people that are, you and I are like right on the edge of, you know, of understanding the whole right. social media thing. I mean, yeah. people, I don't know how many years younger than us. You know how you can tell how old somebody is? It's how fast they can type on their mobile phones. You right. notice that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to look at the keyboard, you know, but I, when I'm around somebody that's like, you know, only five years younger than me, they're like able to have a conversation while they're typing away. I don't understand. That. I don't but either. Anyway. It, 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 it actually frustrates me, man. Cause I'm, I'm like, look at me, you know, don't look, you know, anyhow. Um, but well, so- no, no, Steve, dude, you're, you just touched on it, right? So the social media and stuff, the online relationships have to take, be taken offline. Yeah. So there was a study that was done and you just 100% made an awesome point. Um, where, how people go about making a decision, who they're going to hire to provide, to, to really, let's just focus on, to provide a service, right? And I don't remember these numbers, and I'm going to kind of wing it because I don't remember the exact statistics, but I'll, just to make a point. So if you had to today hire a roofer, so Toby, I'll walk you through this. Okay. So um, do you know a roofer? Uh, I do. Okay, well, that's a bad example. Sorry. I'll say no, <laughs> let's, I don't. Let's, okay, there you go. Yeah. So you don't know a roofer. So you don't personally know somebody. So what are you going to do first? You're going to probably go to your friends and your family and people that you trust that maybe might know a roofer and you're going to ask for a referral then, correct? Um, here's what I'll actually do. Um, I, I want to play walk, along walk with- me through this. Walk me through this. Okay. I'm saying traditionally we're not going to bring, I'll bring, I'll, I'll, I'll full circle it in a okay. second. All right. So yeah, that, that's tradition. I'm, right. traditionally. So you're yes. going to ask Right. So the first thing is who do I know that I trust that I've used before? The second question is going to be, Okay, if I don't know anybody, it's going to be, okay, I'm going to ask for a trusted friend or advisor. This is the traditional pre-social media thing, Toby. I, yes, I agree. And the last one is, is I'm going to respond to an ad. That's how everybody goes through making the buying decision traditionally. So what social media has done, it's basically in a lot of ways replaced the first two categories of buying decision making. So who do you know now could be who you actually know in real life or who you know online that you trust that maybe is one of your friends or someone you've conversed with through social media. So it's been blurred and it even comes more blurry when you start working on the referral aspect of it. So the traditional paths that someone would go through when hiring a real estate practitioner would be, who do I know? You know, who have I used in the past? If I don't know somebody, then I might go to the referral aspect. Who do I know that, you know, can send me a referral? That's, you see guys how the buy referral only stuff, this is the reason it doesn't work at the same level as it used to. Still works, not at the same level. Please be clear what I'm saying. And the last thing and the least effective way to go after business is advertising. Statistically, if I remember correctly, it was something like less than 10% of everyone makes their decision who they're going to hire to do any kind of service, let alone list or sell their real estate or home based on advertising. And the biggest bulk of people make their decision on who they've used in the past. Those first two categories are now online prominently, especially with people that are only marginally younger than Toby and myself. So they're going to go to their social media. They're going to go to their Facebook. They're literally going to, you know, that's how they're going to make their buying decisions. So absolutely, guys, you have to be online. But please be clear. 
your ability to make money is going to be what happens offline, not online. The online is the meeting. Yep. The online is maybe the re- relationship reinforcing. The after the online contact happens is where the magic happens. I 100% agree. And, and just to, to tack on to that, I mean, that, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, what I tell people is wherever you can throw up a free profile, you know, whether it's, it's Yelp, it's about.me, wherever you can throw up a free profile, throw it on there and try to get, you know, that you need social proof, right? Especially those millennials, right? If you're, or, or really anybody, if I hear about you, I'm going to vet you online. When I go online, I, I better see you and I better see some kind of social proof that you do what you say you do, which is you're, you provide awesome service with selling real estate. You're talking about citation sites, right? So well, yeah, there are, prob- there are probably 20 or 30 um, high page rank citation sites. That's your LinkedIn. That's your, right. you know, those types of sites. So you do have to do, you know, I don't have a business relationship with these guys, but there's a great company out there um, I talked to one of the owners called brandyourself.com. I don't know if you checked them out, Toby. No, I've never heard of them. But I like, it's basically all it is, is reputation management SEO stuff. But at the end of the day, their approach is white hat. It's, you know, above board. It's per Google specs. And uh, if you guys are looking to, uh, remember, delegate, don't abdicate your online, everything Toby and I are talking about to build that sort of online presence for yourself, you guys should check out brandyourself.com. Again, I have no dog in that hunt. Use them or don't. Um, I like their I like their ethos. Yeah, and, and look, and again, just just you know, I really truly believe, right? So if you go to if you're in a listing appointment and you're you know one of the things you're going to say is you're going to say, hey, listen, I you know I have this strong network and that's how I'm going to sell your house, you know, for fastest and for the most money. You know, you should really you know everybody should try to have 500 plus LinkedIn contacts because I will check that stuff. And if you and if you say you have a strong network but you don't have 500 you know plus LinkedIn contacts, you know you're going to lose a lot of credibility with me. Um, well, let's let's talk about what you just said, if you don't okay. mind. Yeah, no, let's go. We, to be a successful listing agent, you know what the secret is? No. There was one secret. Drop it. There's one answer. Okay, be the agent who has the listing when it sells. Now, right now, we're at the height of what feels like a seller's market. As we go six months, 12 months, 24 months forward for all kinds of reasons, it's going to gravitate back towards a normal market, and you're going to see a dramatic, depending on your market increase in expireds. So agents who have not realized where the market is headed are overpricing, not getting price reductions because they've never had to do it before, especially in California. They don't know how to get price reductions. They're going to lose their listings. You know, if you guys are listening to this live or, you know, at June and July of 2014, check out what the market looks like in November, December of, of 2014 going into 2015. Huge opportunity for expires. So it's the old Wayne Gretzky thing, be where the puck is going to be. Um, I forgot what got me on that tangent, by the way. No, that's okay. Um, that's what we were, we, were ta- <laughs> we were talking about LinkedIn, but so let me. Go- right, right. So yeah, well, but hold on. So go. what causes a house to sell? What you know, we have um, as superstars coaching clients some of the guys from the Bravo TV show, and you guys watch that show, selling you know New York or selling LA, and you're going to watch these guys throwing these parties and doing all this stuff. That's just the TV show. What causes a house to sell is price. When it comes down to selling real estate, it's price, condition, and location, right? And so, Mr. Seller, rolling into a script here, I can't, you know, conditionalize, Mr. Seller, are you planning on changing anything dramatic about the house? Adding a bedroom, remodeling a kitchen? No. Okay. So, location is the location is. It's not like we can, you know, pick the house up and turn it in, or move it on a different street. So, the only thing we can have a positive effect on, Mr. Seller, is the price. So, 
when it comes to selling real estate, the bottom line is when it's priced correctly, even in a you know, bad seller's market, the house will sell. It's always coming down to price. Your job in, as a realtor who is going to learn how to be a successful listing agent, especially if we're coaching you, is to convince the seller to list the house with you. The selling of the house comes down to price. Your job is to convince them that you're the one that's, uh, that has enough experience to present them on the market, present their house, their product on the market. And after that, if you price it accordingly, it will sell out of the MLS. Now, as your coach, I don't want you to have that mindset, but the reality of it is, is that what it is. when you list a house, your mindset has to be, I'm going to sell the listing myself. And you need to do everything in your power to double in the listing yourself because then you can obviously double your income. But to sell a property... It, it, the social networking, the fancy brochures, the virtual tours done by drone, the fancy websites, all that stuff it, are just basically gimmicks. And I, you know, I understand. I did them when I sold real estate too, to placate the seller, to get the listing. But after you get the listing, you price it correct. You put it in MLS. It's going to sell itself for the most part. Again, if we were coaching you, I would teach you how to sell it yourself so you can double your income. So it, it's, there's no black magic to this whole industry. It's very... Very cut and dry. Right. I love that, man. Um, you're the first guy, really, Tim, that has come on and, and has had that sort of like, hey, do everything in your power to sell your own listing. I, I, and I just, for some reason, you know, I knew that, right? But for some reason, you saying that to me right now just really, some, for some reason, man, really reinforced how, how important that, how much of an opportunity you have to, to, again, what you said, double your income because you have that listing. I'll tell you. Well, you um, know the list. You, you know the inventory better than everybody else. You know the house better than anybody else. And by the way, when you're presenting to a seller, doesn't the seller expect you to sell the house yourself? Isn't that why they're hiring you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You know, I had a guy on the show, um, Denny Grimes. I don't know if you know him. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a Howard Britton star. He was a Howard Britton star from Julie Nye's era. He's, but he's, he's like our age. Uh, maybe it's not. I don't know. If it's, yeah. Well, I don't, uh, maybe it's not the same guy. This guy just got a TV show. <clears throat> he look, he, he just got a TV show. He does this interesting thing. This is what he does. This is, and this is how he got his TV show. Uh, and the TV show is called 60 Seconds to Sell. And what he does, what what his method is, he, he lists a house um, and he uh, puts it on the market. He promotes it and he promotes it. Hey, listen, I'm only going to hold the house open on next Tuesday for two hours. That's it. He has everybody come through and make and, and in order to gain entry into the open house, you, you know, you, you, they have to give uh, provide contact information, and then uh, and then when they're leaving, it says, "Hey, would you?" Oh, by the, I'm sorry, I missed the criti- the critical piece is if it if the house is worth 300 grand, he'll list it for 150 grand. So he lists it for half of what it's worth. Ha- so he pr- gets all these people excited. They come through when they're leaving. Says, "Hey, would you like to make an offer?" They say yes, and he puts them on a phone call. He calls everybody once. They make their offer. He takes the top three and then pits those top three together. So he literally will sell your house within that two-hour time block, and that's it. And that's how he got it's a show. It's an auction model. It's an auction model, it's, right? right? It's I an mean, auction model. What, right, but, yeah. he, but what he says is he says when it comes to price, price doesn't matter because market sets the price, and I will always get fair market value for the house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, in Australia, that's how they sell. We have coaching clients in Australia, and they—that's how it's always been done. You know, yeah. in, in most of the world, in most of the world, Toby, did you know there's no co-op? I mean, even markets that have very similar real estate systems. In England, there is no co-op. There's no real centralized MLS. This is a unique American thing. Huh. You know, 
Yeah, well, you know, look, I I have a coaching client in Australia as well, and and on the it's it's strange on the like his credentials, right? Uh, and I never knew that, but I never asked him either. But it says auctioneer, like it's like uh, yeah, that's why. So yeah, I think that's and I think that will be a, that's a predictable trend, right? But not so. Why won't sellers go for that? For the same reason that when you go to a classic car auction or you watch one on TV. You know, sometimes these guys do no-reserve auctions, and you're doing a no-reserve auction. That means that someone could underbid the value of the thing and get it. Right. So the, the seller's fear of not selling it for market value is what has, I think, prevented, in a lot of cases, auctions really taking off in the United States. Got it. Um, and, and, and just real quick, I want to move on to something else. But you, you shared with us a great line in the last episode. When somebody wants to list their house for more than it's worth in, in the current environment, share again really quickly that line being ahead that you that- – Oh, right. So and actually I got this from the uh, – you know, I, I, collect, uh, I collect classic Porsches, right? And so I go to all the auctions. And I pay, all, pay attention to all the auctions that happen all over the world and – one of the things when, you know, a seller doesn't meet their expectations that the auctioneer will always say to the seller, you know, not to make the seller mad is, well, you know, you're just ahead of the market, right? Right. So you're just ahead of the market with your expectations. But, you know, again, you're getting back to that great conversation we're having on how to overcome the seller's ego-based reluctance to price correctly. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to understanding if you ever find yourself uh, feeling like, you're against your seller. Again, we focus virtually all of our energies on teaching agents how to be uh, listing agents because listing agents always will have the control. Listing agents will always have the power. Buyer leads will rain from the skies when you have listings. So get listings. Learn how to be a listing agent. Don't think – if you're only focusing on buyers, you are missing the best part of the industry. You're missing the part that has true leverage. You're missing the way that you can actually build wealth. But, you know, when you take – when you're in a situation where you're feeling like you're sitting across the table from the seller, in other words, you're not their ally, you're their combatant, you're going to lose the listing and they're not going to trust you. So how you phrase things, how you say things matters. And it really matters if you want to be truly successful in this industry. I 100% agree. And look, if you, if you can build a business that is based on listings, right, you, what you can build is you can build a predictable business. You know, when you focus on buyers, it's, you know, it's hit or miss. You can, you're, you can never predict from one month to another what you're going to make. But you, you, you can build a predictable business if, you're, if you work on the listing side. You, you got it, man. It, it, so can we walk through something that I really love? I think that your listeners will love to. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. Can you, can you be the agent? Can you yeah, take this role? Play? Okay. All right. So this is – okay. Julie and I do free coaching calls. We'll do two or three a day. Literally, they're free. You usually have to schedule two or three weeks out. The website's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. So I'll get an agent on the phone. And, you know, they're confused. I'm buying buyer leads from Zillow and Trulia. I've got this lead source and that lead source. And, you know – Nothing's really working. It worked before, but it's not working now. That's what I constantly hear. It worked five years ago, but it's not working now. They're totally, completely confused. Should I build a team? Who should I find? Okay, here's how we clear the table, and I'm going to do it with you. Toby, um, I have a question for you. Can you imagine a time in your market in San Diego where you had 10 listings at all times? In other words, your, new, your minimum standard for Toby's real estate is 10 listings at all times. Can you imagine that? Uh, yes, I can imagine that. Okay, excellent. So, Toby, correct me if I'm wrong, but in your marketplace in San Diego, the average sale price is going to be right around $700,000. Is that correct? Uh, average is about five hundred. Okay, 500000 No worries. So, 
that means that let's just focus on the top line numbers and let's assume that you're taking market rate commissions and let's assume that every time you sell a $500,000 listing, you're going to make $15,000. Can we agree to that? We can. Okay. Now, I realize that in your market, Toby, that you are in a seller's market for the most part. But uh, let's just say for the sake of conversation, if you had 10 listings at all times, that out of the MLS, priced correctly, you'd have three or four sell per month. Conceivable, yes? Yep. Okay. If you had 10 listings at all times, and you were making $15,000 every time one sold, Toby, you would be making an average of $720,000 per year. That's the real number. In all actuality, you'd make more than that because you'd have more than three or four sell per month because your market's hot right now. Right. How does that work? 15,000 times four, 60 grand, 60 grand times 12 is $720,000 a year. That's how much money you'd make if you had 10 listings at all times. How does that resonate considering all the other things that you had going on in your head? How does that, how do you feel about that? I love it. I love it. How do I get to 10? All right. Thank you for asking that question. So here's how it works. You've been on a plane many times before, I'm sure. So, you know, let's just, you know, I'm not a pilot, but I've certainly been on tons of planes. When you are taking off, there's, there's three stages to any flight, right? There's taking off, there's cruising, and there's landing. Where does the pilot use most of its fuel? Taking off, cruising, or landing? Taking off. Right. You have to break the forces of gravity. That's when you're on the plane and the plane's shaking and rattling and rolling and, you know, some people get really nervous. I mean, you know, Julie is very, she hates takeoff. She always grabs my hand and so my fingers turn blue, you know. So taking off is when the plane uses most of its fuel. At your stage, and this is true with most free coaching calls because they're having to embrace the concept of being a listing agent, you're going to have to determine and decide that you're going to put yourself in a state, a mental state, where you're willing to put in the work that no matter what, no matter what, you're going to keep that throttle down so you can reach up to cruising altitude. Because right. let's go back to that you're on the plane. Let's say you're flying the plane. If you all of a sudden go from full throttle because you're trying to reach 30,000 feet so you can be at cruising altitude, and you pull back on the throttle, what happens to the plane? It dips. It dips or worse, right? And that's what most realtors do. They'll yep. go from massive effort They'll basically, they're, they have some, you know, financial tiger chasing them. They'll get in production. They'll make some money. They'll get some stuff in contract. In other words, the tiger chasing them is the plane taking off the maximum fuel. They're focused on being frosty and going after opportunities. They accomplish the financial goal or at least have some respite of financial stress. And then they stop doing what they were supposed to do. And then they crash back down. And that's, where you can, that's the reason that realtors don't have cash flow. They have cash spurts because they're constantly going from making the right efforts, then stop making right efforts, stop. So if you think about that plane, you're on that plane, if your goal is to get to cruising altitude, because here's cruising altitude. Cruising altitude is when we have 10 listings at all times, when you have then only to replace what sells per month. Some months it'll be three and four, some months, let's say in January, it might be two. Over the course of the year, if you have 10 listings at all times, and that is your business model, nothing more. We don't talk about buyer leads. We don't talk about any of this other stuff. Just getting to and maintaining 10 listings at all times. Clearing the runway and getting to cruising altitude is your goal. It is, does require a lot of work. Depending on your willingness to work, depending on your existing skill set, it could take you anywhere from realistically 90 to maybe 180 days to get up to and maintain that consistent level because new skills are going to have to be formed. New habits are going to have to be you know, pursued. But once you're there, 
everything gets better. So the question is, is when you're at cruising altitude and you're making that consistent income, you know, where do you just, when do you decide to land? And the answer is never, you never land. <laughs> so if you've now mastered the ability to get to and maintain 10 listings at all times, and let's say you decide you want to buy a house in Cabo, right? Then you say, you put in your head, okay, if I can get to 10 listings at all times, I bet I can relatively easily get to 15 listings at all times and fit, add what, 50 to 100% income per year. Then you do what you did before, more effort, get it up to a certain level, get in the habit of replacing what sells. Guys, that is the beauty of being a listing agent. You don't have to fill your mind with all this other garbage, all this other noise. Just focus all your best energies on getting to and maintaining what Julie and I call your magic number. Not everybody it's 10 listings. Some people it's five. Some people it's 50. Depends on your goals. Depends on your average sale price. Right. Okay. So look, so number, a, a couple things here that, that I love. Number one, right. That was a, that was a free coaching call. And the, the, you did a couple things with me. Number, you know, you, you took me through this process for me, you helped me see like, Hey, this equals, you know, 700 grand, you know, how does that make you feel? That feels great. I, I would love to, you know, make $700,000. <clears throat> um, uh, and number two, what you did, which was interesting to me, right. You brought your own personal life into it. You made, you personalized you as Tim. And cause you said, Hey, you know what? Julie gets scared and she grabs my hand. And I, and I think, you know, that's something that when people go on listing appointments that they should certainly do. It's not all business, you know, get that personal touch in there and make them like you, make them feel for you. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I want to work with people that I, I like. So I love that you did that really quickly. Cause again, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. And I know you're a little bit long winded. You tell good stories, Tim. Um, <laughs> well, but you, but you just said something, right? Learn to be a great storyteller. That matters. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you said it more succinctly than I did, but yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. So, and that does matter. Um, so certainly I, I'm going to, I'm going to buy into that. I'm going to say, yes, Tim, I know that I need to have I, 10 listings at all time. I'm going to work my sphere because I, that's what I know I need to work. W- where would you, for the, for the, you know, average person out there, um, what is the next thing that they should like? What next? You know, is it, do I go? It on, honestly, Toby, it depends on their market. It depends on them as individuals. But, you know, it, it really, it honestly depends. I've got a guy that's in um, Houston, and he is, uh, for a long time, he was, he was a, a, reg, a, ten, a like national tennis player, you know, kind of thing. And now he's a professional uh, tennis coach. Um, he's been doing it for a long time. He's gotten more and more into real estate, wants to figure out how to transition one to the other. I said, dude, you've got to keep teaching those tennis lessons. And you've got to integrate into what you're already doing, what you have passion for, real estate transactions. And he started to do it, and he's obviously starting to get momentum from that. So depending on your individual market and, your, and what you come to the table with when you hire us as your coach, we're going to, again, focus on your this is the low-hanging fruit. You know, what, Toby, like you're into racing and you're into cars and you're, you have personal interests. I'm going to focus on those things first, and I'm going to ask you where you got your transact, where have you done, how have you sourced deals in the past, and then we're going to ex- and we're going to work on all the easy stuff and making it better for you as far as lead generation. And then we're going to add more spokes. Some people will come to the coaching and they'll say, I don't want to do anything proactive, right? I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to do anything. Okay, fine. So you want to build a passive business. No worries. I can help you do that too. So then we talk about the different types of things you can do where you are essentially buying leads. You're doing marketing. You're, you're, focused, you're, you're going to the different websites and you're willing to pay a 20 or 30% referral fee. You're doing stuff like that. It honestly depends on the person. Um, okay, but um, I can understand. So look, if we go back to what you do, 
um, you the first thing you start with is the easy stuff, right? We 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 you you look at the, the what they're good at, and you help them kind of master those things before learning new skills. There there has to be on average like what is generally the next skill that that people will learn from you or you will teach them. Let me ask. What do you what do you think of farming? Are you asking Are you asking skills or are you asking lead generation question? Help me understand. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I I I, I kind of messed that up, and I I really want to talk about the lead gen side of it. You know what What do you think about farming? Is is farming something that everybody should do? Is that should that be a, a, a spoke no. for everybody? No. I mean, no, it depends on where you are in your real estate business. If you've already got, so it's a passive thing, right? It's not proactive. If you've got enough consistent, if you get to the 10, most agents can get to that level um, of 10 at all times or whatever their number is, depending on their average sale price. If they want to make 500,000 and their average sale price is a million dollars. I mean, obviously they need fewer listings. They need maybe five listings at all times. Um, Teaching someone to be situationally aware, or what we call frosty, teaching agents to really be excellent at lead follow-up, teaching agents to ask the right questions in the right order, most times, and then obviously making them better what they're already good at, for most agents will help them, will basically get them uh, to cruising altitude, depending on the individual. Now, let's say you're wanting to sell 100 houses, and let's say the reason you're wanting to sell 100 houses is because you're you know, leading with profit, you're saving money off every transaction, you want to save up a certain amount of money so you can buy a certain number of rental properties to have the passive money coming from, okay, I get all that. So that's your, you have big aspirations, and I love that. We're going to start with doing more proactive stuff. So you are going to have to do some of the traditional stuff. We are going to go after the expires. We are going to go after the for sale by owners. We are going to go after uh, the notice defaults. We are going to go after all the people that we know are already in the marketplace with their hands up in their air mm. and saying, Toby, I have to sell my house. The problem with farming is it works, but you're then sending this postcard or this whatever. And we, Julie and I did farming too, and I have plenty of coaching clients that do it. But the reason it can't be one of your first spokes on your wheel using this, you know, continued analogy is because it takes too long. It's not consistent enough. It's too passive. If you come to me and you say, I've got a lot of money, I don't have to work, and I've got coaching clients like that who are come to us as millionaires, you know, for whatever reason they have millions of dollars, they don't have to work, they're not wanting to make phone calls, they want to do a geographic farm. I'll tell you what I really like for that is magazines. There's a guy I'm coaching right now who's got a brilliant product, which is gorgeous homes magazine, very, I mean, he can help you zero cost it through, you know, having advertisers in your magazine. So if you're going to do... Uh, farming, to your question, Toby, yeah. go big or go home. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Do something that's completely different. That as soon as that uh, prospective seller has it in their hand, they're going to be, wow, this is incredible. I mean, so if you're going to do things, you've got to do things at the next level. You can't be doing what everybody else is doing. Right. I, 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 um, that's interesting. Um, uh, I somewhat agree with that. But you know, when, I th- when I think of farming, I, think of a, I had on the show a guy named Thatch Nguyen. I don't, I, do, you, I don't, do you know who that is? Yeah. So Thatch, he told me the story of, you know, his, he knocked on a hundred doors a day for 10 years and, you know, and well, we're talking about different things, dude. That's not farming. I totally am advocating that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. It's not the same thing. That's being proactive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. So yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. well, that's a hundred percent. I agree with that. Tell yeah. me, tell me you, cause, cause I mean, educate me, Tim, tell me your definition of farming. What does that mean to you? Well, Okay. There's a question, right? So Thatch is a great example of somebody who 
proactively goes after the business. He understands the power of the contact. And what most agents, what most people think of farming, Toby, is that they're going to mail something and they're going to hope their phone rings. Thatcher's mm. just being proactive and he's going after the business. Hello, this is who I am. This is what I do. And he's going to stay there, <laughs> say what he's supposed to say, and go to the next one because he has specific contacts because he knows so many contacts are going to result in so many, you know, what, what result he's trying to pursue. Right. What most agents do is they'll take a direct mail piece or they'll do something that's totally passive, hoping and praying that they get a, a desired result. Got it. So we're, we're kind of talking about the same thing. But if you're asking me, so it's proactive versus passive marketing, right? Okay. Yeah. Got it. What else? I, that's um, that's interesting to me. I just for me, I lumped all that in together. You know, for me, like when I think of, hey, do you have a farm? Um, that you, it's you are certainly proactive, and you, you know you're proactively knocking on the doors, and you're doing. And look, so let's talk about really quickly, like passive prospecting, because I talk about this somewhat. And like for me, like passive prospecting or passive marketing is, you know, that is having you know your your uh, your car magnets, you know, say, hey, Tim Harris Real Estate, you know maybe wearing your company colors at all times, you know, maybe having a name badge that says Tim Harris real estate. Hey, I'm Tim. You know, what, what other, how else would you, uh, what other things would you lump into passive? Well, Toby, virtually everything that's being taught to agents is passive. Mm. I mean, think about it. Everything that's being taught to agents is passive. Passive is easy as hell to sell to agents because you can tell them they don't have to have any skills and they don't have to do anything. And the world's going to rain leads on them. Look what's being sold to agents. Go to the NAR convention or your state convention. Every single booth is some whiz-bang idea where you slapped in your credit card number and they're going to you know, send you leads. Right. That's passive. Right. But okay. listen, let's, let's be clear. Passive can work. But most agents don't come to this industry with a war chest of cash. And I sure as hell don't want you guys going into debt. You've got to lead with revenue. Your point of selling real estate is to save money so you can build wealth. The definition of rich is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. So if you never develop the skills, the proactive skills, then if all you try to do is the passive stuff, you're going to accumulate massive amounts of debt waiting for the business to show up. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Okay, that's cool, man. Hey, listen, um, it, I don't know if you can be a little bit brief because I don't want to go over, but uh, I'm going to ask you a question uh, that because you have so much here, Tim, and that sometimes you know, with this, I have guys like you come on the show and I can think of a handful of guys that for me, man, it, you're hard to wrangle. Right. You know, my job as a, as a host is I, I need to try to, like, you know, guide you and get the nuggets out. And, uh, you know, again, you're hard to wrangle, man. So tell me something. Here's the question. Is there something I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that would be valuable to the audience? To the know? most. Yes. Uh, uh, this is something that nobody talks about because it's totally unsexy. It's not interesting and it doesn't sell. Right. So if you're trying to sell stuff to, uh, to realtors, most realtors are going to be opportunistic and look for the passive stuff. And here it is. There's two things. You know, success comes from doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. What does that mean? When you don't, you know, most agents will only do the proactive things, the things that will make the money when they feel a certain way. Right. If you wait around to feel a certain way, you're never going to get anywhere. You've got to basically accept the fact that the discipline of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. And on the other side of that is magic. Now, and here's the tail end of that one. Repetitious boredom pays off. You know, being bored, not always looking for the excitement of life in business, that's where you're supposed to be. When you have a boring, consistent business, that's, where the pro that's when the profits start happening. 
an exciting business with lots of drama, a lot of people get addicted to that. You're not going to make any money that way. You're not going to help enough people that way. So accept the fact that repetitious boredom pays off and doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's where on the other side of that, that's where the magic is. Many agents don't, they'll, they'll, you know, it's, it's focused, right? Follow one course until successful. Yeah. They'll pop tart from, they'll pop tart from one agent uh, from one idea to the next. Yep. And Toby, your questions were kind of geared towards a lot of those ideas, the trendy money-making, you know, get rich quick type gimmicks. And let's be clear. Some of them work for a short period of time, but they won't work for a long period of time. If you ever hope to be successful, you know, really successful, not just a couple of good years, you have to embrace the fact that repetition support and pays off in doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. That's the hard part yeah. at the highest level, which is the most important part on the other side of that is everything you want out of life. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's that play, pleasure pain thing, right? Everybody runs toward pleasure and away from pain. And if you can reverse that and run towards the pain, uh, you know, that's where, that's where you'll find success. Hey, Tim, man, uh, it's been a delicious uh, interview, and this is the part two of, of two hours. We've been on the phone for two hours and 17 minutes. You've been talking nonstop. I, I, I drank two bottles of water, dude. I mean, I don't, I, how's your throat not super dry? I do this shit for a living. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, seriously. I mean, you know, when you're going to be a great coach, you have to be able to have luck, okay, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Got it. You know, hope, hopefully we delivered. <laughs> Um, even though I'm sure both of us would have rather maybe be, been at the beach, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, 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 and at the end of it, no, yeah. so, so I just, two questions to, to wrap up. One is, um, do you have a personal habit? Do you think, I mean, look, you, you and Julie have been successful. You guys were high school sweethearts. You know, you had a, yep. a, a successful um, business when you were in high school, I think. The, the auto detailing thing. You wrote a book. Yep. Speaking tours. You've had this, this, this magical life of success. It, is there a habit, Tim, that you have that you think has, has you know, led to that success that people can, can model? Well, so um, it's an interesting question, but it hasn't just been – you know, don't label things like success or a failure. Get in the habit of saying it's too soon to tell. So when you have a failure, when something really kicks you in the head and you just feel like, you know, this is the worst thing ever, tell yourself it's too soon to tell. When you have a huge success, when you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, where people are getting tattoos of your face on their arms, just say it's too soon to tell. You've got to operate in the middle. You can't, if, if you say, I am a failure, I had a bad experience, then you won't learn from that experience. If you say, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, look, at, I just kicked the world's butt, then you won't learn what you're supposed to learn from that experience. You have to stay operating in the middle. So when you say, we've had a long string of successes, I suppose that's true, but we've also had a long string of failures. And I bet you for every one success we've had, we've had probably 10 failures, but if you ask me what they were, I wouldn't really differentiate them from the successes because the failures led to the successes and the successes led to the failures. It's all a path. It's a journey. Got it. I love it, man. So it's the mindset. That's what it is. It's the mindset. You know, it's the, uh, I mean, I love my wife. I love my life. I love what we do for a living. You know, I love my baby daughter. You know, I, Congratulations I on that, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I know that Julian, uh, I don't want to use the word lucky because that's, I think luck is one of those things that people will say to themselves. I don't have what I want because the other person was lucky. So forgive me for saying that, but the reality of it is, is that uh, the passion comes when you know you're making a difference being of service to other people. The passion comes 
when you are able to take care of the people you love. The passion and the feeling of success comes when you do that consistently over a long term. So I'll accept that as a compliment, and I do appreciate being on your radio show. No problems. I'd love to have you back. The last question I always ask him is, I'm an aspiring agent. I have 25 bucks. What book should I go buy today? Well, I'll make it easy on you. <clears throat> Email me directly, okay. and I'll give you a copy of Think and Grow Rich, the real estate edition that Julie and I published earlier this year. Wow. It's on Amazon for like it's on Amazon for twenty bucks. It's Napoleon Hill's classic Think and Grow Rich. Julie and I updated it, added some specific content for real estate agents. Think and Grow Rich, um, the real estate edition on Amazon. Um, you know, you can email me directly at coachtimharris at gmail.com. That's my private email address. I just gave out my private email address to all your listeners, but that's okay. Um, and I'll email you a copy of that book. And if, Toby, you want to, you know, edit this and have them send you know, to a different URL so you can do lead capture, it's up to you. No, no, that's fine. That's, I'm, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, I pretty much have, I, you know, if, it, yeah. I have my own little book uh, that I just, actually, my new copy got released on my, uh, on my site. And uh, everybody can go check it, super, superagentslive.com. And uh, I wrote, a, like, a 32-page book. It's called How to Sell. So, hey, Tim, again, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I know my audience has probably taken... 18 pages of notes. I certainly did as we went along. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, but well, let's, let's, w, again, thank, thank, thank you for your contribution to the real estate industry. You're actually a really nice, fresh breath uh, in the questions you ask. And I love how you're honestly inquisitive about helping people become successful. I find that, um, you know, that's unique in our industry and I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, thank you, man. All right, bud. Hey, well, let's, let's keep in touch. All right, great. See you, man. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. For those of you that want to know what we're all about, it's like this, y'all. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.